Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm not going to take too long today, but I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed, and it seemed like it never came through? It seemed like the more you prayed, the longer it took, and you, you just about gave up. You begin to find reasons to justify why God couldn't hear you. You begin to find reasons why, why God wouldn't act on your behalf. And I wonder how many times Israel did that as they went through cycles of oppression and famine and, and grief and misery as they waited one day, one day the Messiah would come, the hope would be here, but until then they labored and they labored. And so when he finally came in this little manger, can you imagine, can you imagine knowing the response that Finally, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, everything you've been asking for, everything you've been praying for, had finally come through. Has, is there anybody in here who's prayed years and then it finally showed up? It finally came through. You understand what I mean, that there is a response to that. This morning, I want to leave you with just a few responses. As we look at the storyline of the birth, there are several parties there. We have Mary and Joseph, we have the wise men, and we have the shepherd. And each, the shepherds and each one of them are teaching us a response. And they're simply saying this on the summary, that our response is to first welcome him. Our response is then to worship him. And then our last response is to witness him. And the reason why we can do that is because finally, finally, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And I believe somewhere in the Bible, I've not yet found it, I would say, here's a name out there, it would say he's God for us too. Because I know that he is. And so this morning, if you don't mind, let me just read through Matthew chapter 1. Since he is God, we should welcome him. When I think about welcoming him, I think about Joseph and his situation. Joseph had a decision to make. He, he found his wife, or he found his soon-to-be wife to be pregnant. And in those days and those times... When you were pregnant, it was your family that celebrated you. And they were going back to their hometown where their family was at. But the word says there was no room for them there. That meant that there was going to be rejection by the family. And it was a way that Jewish culture would, would, would keep from having children out of wedlock. When your family would reject you, so would the rest of society for what you've done wrong. And so here Joseph knows that if I accept this baby... There's going to be some rejection. But notice, notice this. Turn with me to verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He was an honorable man. And he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now notice this. Joseph's about to make a decision, and the only thing he knows is that this Messiah has come to do one thing, to save you from yourself. Not to deliver you out of poverty, not to heal your marriage, not to heal your body, not to bring your wayward kids back home. That was not the promise that was made. And so Joseph was about to make a decision, and the only thing he can guarantee and bet it on is basically off the word of this angel that says the reason why he is here and the reason why he has come is ultimately to save you from yourself, to save you from your sins, Joseph. This morning, I, I, I want to ask you is, is, are you welcoming Jesus this morning? We know, we know Joseph's response. It goes on in verse 22. It says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive a child. She will uh, give birth to a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Can I tell you that if we're going to respond to the Messiah finally coming into your life, we have to welcome him, and we welcome him through obedience. We have to receive what he has for us. Many times we look at Jesus to be the Savior, to come in and save us, to come in and sanctify us, and those things are great. But at the end of the day, our response to him is obedience, and our response to him is for us just to be delivered from our sins. Ultimately, what we need from Christ the most is forgiveness of our sins. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, is have you welcomed him? And a good way you know you've welcomed him is if you're obeying what he's asked you to do. If you welcome him, it's because you loved him. And if you love him, then you'll obey his commandments. And so a proper response to a December 21st child is simply this. It's welcoming him. And so can I just ask a very reflective question this morning? Have you really welcomed him? And maybe even a greater question would be, is can people look at your life and realize that you made room in your end? You made room. You gave him a spot. When nobody else would, when nobody else did, had you welcomed him in. The second thing is, is that of the, the wise men. So we are to welcome him, but we also are to worship him. It says in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And skip on down to verse 11. It says, and they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
If you've welcomed him, then you'll worship him. And the wise men actually give us a way to look at how we are worshiping him. It's not just enough to say we worship him. You've heard me talk about before how worship is a lifestyle, but there are some things here we can pay attention to in terms of the wise men's gifts. They gave him gold, they gave him frankincense, and they gave him myrrh. And I would tell you this morning is that those three things are more than just tangible gifts, but they are models or illustrations for us to understand how we are to worship him. The word worship comes from a Latin term called worth-ship. It means to ascribe worth to something. And as we worship God, we are ascribing worth to him. When we give him the gold of our life, we're giving him the greatest thing we have, the most costliest thing that we have and the reason why we're giving him the best is because he deserves the best if he is the king of glory he deserves all that we have which is the best that man can give in terms of our currency and in this time it was gold because it was a kingly gift kings wear crowns and crowns are made of gold when we look at the treasures we look at the chest what we see first off is that our worship says about him that he has sovereign dominion, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And my question today to you is simply this, is does he have sovereign dominion over your life? Does he have total say-so? Really what I'm trying to say in a simplified term is simply this, is he lord or is he just healer and savior or is he lord? Does he have the right to tell you no? Does he have the right to tell you slow down? Does he have the right to tell you to wait? Does he have the right? Have you given him access to your life to be Lord over all? Because a king doesn't come without dominion. And you cannot call him your king if you've not given him the dominion of your life. He needs to reign. He desires to reign. And he will reign. Whether or not that you accept it. One of these days, you will submit to his sovereignty entirely. But right now, you can welcome it in. And he will be the greatest king to you. The second gift was that of the frankincense. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 37, we can back up actually and see that this was no simple spice. This was something that was speaking of the Lord in terms of his deity. And so frankincense was, was something that, that declared to the Lord uh, or, or to us as a symbol who he was. We read in verse 34. It says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather franken, uh, fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and gabinum, and mix these fragrant spices, and with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. So here we see the frankincense is an equal amount with all these other things that Delora has in her house. <laughs> Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together and sprinkle them. And then he goes on down here and he says in verse 36, grind some of the mixture into very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I will meet with you in the tabernacle. You must treat the incense as most holy. I want you to pay attention to that. You must treat this incense, this frankincense as most holy. Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord and you must treat it as holy. 
frankincense was simply saying to the Lord that day that he is most holy. He is God. He is sinless deity. There is none like him. He is the perfect sacrifice. But when I look at him, what I'm truly saying is, is that he is God. Is he God to you? Is he God to you? He also says that I am holy. And he charges us to be holy like him. If we are his people, then we are to be like him, which is holy. Where are you in your sanctification process? Is the Lord sanctifying you? Have you allowed him to be holy? Have you allowed him to be God? Or is he only God on Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 11.30? Is he, is he sinless deity? Is he worthy of your frankincense when somebody cuts you off? When somebody says something to you in Walmart? When your spouse and you have indifference and there seems to be no resolution, do you still look to him as the sinless deity? Are you still offering up your worship of frankincense, exalting him, knowing that he is God and God alone, and you don't concern your problems or solutions with anything else without first going to the one, the solution? God alone? Is he worthy of your frankincense? And the last thing is, is he worthy of your myrrh? Myrrh was a spice that was used. As, as the custom of the Jews would say, to bury the dead. And as we speak about Jesus and his death, what we know is that he is the sacrificial death. So first, he has sovereign dominion, and then his, he's the sinless deity. And then lastly, he has, um, uh, he has a sacrificial death. And what I love about the sacrificial death is simply this. Jesus didn't come and just die for my sins, which, Randy, I needed drastically. But there was something more in his death that he afforded us. And that was his life. Romans chapter 6 tells us how important his death was. Verse 8 says, And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Every sin, all sin. Now and forever. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. He gave you his death because he wanted your life. Are you giving him your myrrh? Are you giving him your life? Are you appreciating all that he's done for you this morning? And then the last response simply is this, is are you witnessing him? We want to welcome him. We want to worship him. But we also must witness him. Look in Luke chapter 2. Here's the story of the shepherds. They're appearing. Uh, the angels are appearing to the shepherds at night. And they're seeing glory to God in the highest. And, and the shepherds are overwhelmed. And then in verse 15, we pick up and it says, When the angels have returned to heaven... The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Do you know that night, thousands of years in the making, and that night all of heaven was ready to rejoice, and they did. And do you know who they told? It wasn't Caesar. It wasn't Tiberius. 
It wasn't King Herod. It wasn't the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any of the literati, the elites, the sophisticates, none of those things. No, he came to the lowest of these. He came to the shepherds. And he asked the shepherds, whose very testimony would even hold up in court. It would not accept the word of a shepherd because he had no true testimony. And here God himself appeals to the shepherds to carry the greatest message ever. And I tell you, they're teaching us this. The shepherd is simply saying this, that when it comes to responding to what he's done, we must witness him, and it does not require your education. It does not require some grand anointing. It does not require anything. It doesn't require you solving all the problems of today, right now, the immediate. Matter of fact, all they needed you to do was simply go and tell them what they saw and what they heard. That's what 17 says. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. My question to you today would simply be this. Can you witness him? What have you seen him do? What have you heard him do? Because it's the only prerequisite. God is with us in the manger, and that's great. But can I tell you that he is just as much as Emmanuel in this manger as he is when we leave the manger. He is God with us in our moment. He is God with us in our praise. But as we leave the manger and we go back to our ordinary, normal lives, he is also God with us then too. When you go back to the mundane, when you go back to the, to the sheep, when you go back to the... To the the nasty things of life, he is still Emmanuel. He's still God with us. And I don't know what your home looks like. I don't know what your job looks like. I don't know what your soul looks like. But I do know this, is that he does not change. And he is with you today as he was yesterday, as he will be forever. He is truly God with us. Scripture says how important this is, is for us to be a witness. Here's the reason why it's, a, it's important for us to be a witness. Because we are to be a light. We know that he was a great light. And we ought to be a light. John chapter 8, verse 34. Says that he is the light. Verse 12, I'm sorry, John 8, verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And Philippians chapter 2 says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can cr criticize you, Harrison Faith. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. This morning, we're going to partake in the candlelight ceremony. And as, I, as my deacons come down and get ready to, to serve, I, I, I want to remind you of two things that this candlelighting ceremony will represent. One, that he is the light of life. 
that he came down from heaven into your dark and weary soul. And when he did, he inhabited it and brought hope. But not only is he the light of life, but also that you are the light unto the world. And so as we light this candle here in just a few moments, I want you to think back, Lord, thank you for, uh, for being a light in my darkness. Have you had any dark moments in your life? Have you realized your need for him? And then also, remember your purpose is to be a light. That's why he came, to redeem us so that our lives might speak of him. So would you stand with me this morning?